I'm going to go ahead and start reading this story out of the Word of God. You know, I, I tried to make it shorter. I'm like, well, maybe I can take something out. Maybe I can par- paraphrase something. Uh, but it's just written the way it is. And I, those of you who came to our uh, conference, girls' conference night, this story is going to be familiar to you. It's a, it's a really cool story that I don't hear a lot of messages preached out of. But the Old Testament is full of amazing stories. I mean, they could be like lifetime movies, not Hallmark movies, lifetime movies. I mean, Hallmark movies, any Hallmark movie fans? Yeah, you always know how it's going to end, right? Usually uh, it's going to be snowing and it's going to be Christmas Eve. And they're going to fall in love under the mistletoe. Now, if it's a lifetime movie, somebody's crazy. Somebody's going to get stabbed. Somebody's going to be on the point of death and it's going to be twisted and all kinds of things. This is a lifetime movie. All right. So be prepared. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Use your imagination that God gave you to draw the picture in your own mind. All right. Uh, After Ehud's death, which was a a leader, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight, which is kind of an Israelite pattern. It's really when you read Old Testament stories, the Bible says they're written in there for our learning. So if we can read this story and learn something from it, apply it to our life, we can leave this place better. All right. So when the, when the, when the Bible talks about the Israelites, what he's really talking about is his people, or we can, we can look at it as this is us church going people. All right. People who want God and God's purpose for their life. Another part of the story is going to be talking about the Canaanites. The Canaanites, a lot of times are a symbol of the world or the world system. All right. So when we read through this story, you kind of know, you know, what, what it represents. So the Israelites, us, we did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin, a Canaanite king. Says the commander of his army, his name was Sisera. Says Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, she was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She'd sit under the palm tree and, and the Israelites would come to her for judgment. She'd bring wisdom to them. One day she sent for, back in those days, they didn't have like, you know, the Bible, the word of God, where we could get instruction for, from God. So God would use prophets to speak his word to the people. So this was what was, would happen. The people would go to the prophet of God, just like we would go to the word of God. All right. So they went, would go to this prophet of God, Deborah, and she would give them God instruction. So one day she sent for Barak, who was, um, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And he was really the leader of God's people, the Israelite people. And she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. He says, call 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Call them together at Mount Tabor. I will call out Sisera, the bad guy, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There, I will give you victory over him. Barak, the leader of God's army, says, I'll go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she said, I'll go with you, but you'll receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together all the tribes and 10,000 warriors went with him. Deborah went with them also. 
Now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak tree near Kadesh. When Sisera the bad guy told, was told that Barak the good guy had gone up to Mount Debor, he called all 900 of his chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor in battle. And this is what I believe today. I believe like that, that just like God told them, those were her, who were being oppressed by the enemy, how he told them today, get ready, today the Lord will give you victory because the Lord is marching ahead of you. I believe that that's what God is saying to us this morning. Get ready, because today everything changes. Today, the word of God going forth will change everything. It says, when Barak attacked the Lord, then threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down, the leader of the army leaped down from his chariot, and he ran away on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots, the enemy army, all the way, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left. So all of the enemy was dead except the leader. Meanwhile, the leader, Sisera, ran to the tent of Jael. This is where the Lifetime movie comes in. It says he was the wife of Heber the Kenite because their family was on friendly terms with King Jabin. <laughs> Jael went out to meet Sisera and said, come into my tent, sir, come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. He said, please give me some water. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him up again. He says, stand at the door of the tent. If anybody comes and asks if there's anyone here, tell him no. It says, but when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, she quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. And she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground and he died. He said, when Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went to meet him. She said, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. He followed her into the tent, found Sisera lying there dead, and the tent peg through his temple. Dun, 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 right? So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became greater, stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. I love that. I know some of you guys are like, I hope I'm not married to a woman like that. No, you want to be married to a woman like that. Do you know why? Because she knew what to do with the enemy when he walked into her tent. She knew what she was fighting for. She knew how to use the weapon in her hand and do enemy damage. And as long as you stay on the right side of that, that line, you'll all be just fine. <laughs> There's a couple things I want to just pick up from this story before we send you home to lunch, even though you still smell like breakfast. Uh, the, point number one is you're going to have to make a choice. There comes a point in time as believers in Christ Jesus that we have to make a choice. We have to make a decision. Are we going to do things God's way or are we going to do things the enemy, enemy's way? Because if you were to study this, you would find out that Heber, it says Heber, Heb, is a is a, I wish they would name them like normal names, like Sam, Joe, easy names to pronounce, right? But Heb was a, a Canaanite. 
And the Canaanite people were descendants, not descendants, but they were distant relatives of Moses. Y'all have those family members, you know, you, they come up and you're like, we're family. We're like, how are we related? Well, I think your uncle is married to my aunt and aunt's brother who's related to. So they were related to Moses. They were related to Moses's father-in-law. So the Kenites would, would hang out with or travel with God's people. They knew the way that, that, uh, that, the, that the children of Israel walked and talked and, and they were part of that distant family. Well, the Bible story here says that there came a point in time when Haber and his wife distanced themselves from God's people. It says they distanced themselves from God's people and they became friends with the enemy. Now, I don't know why exactly they became friends with the enemy. It could be that, that um, the Kenites were known for their metal work and, and, and uh, with their steel. You know, they would make like the iron chariots. They were metalsmith. They were into heavy metal. Not like heavy metal, but steel stuff. So it could be because of money that they left the, the children of Israel, or maybe they were tired of, of traveling that way. I don't know why, but the Bible says they became a friend of the enemy. There comes a point in the time in our life when we have to make a choice. We have to decide which side of the line we're standing in, because there'll come a point and a time when the enemy comes into our house. And we'll have to decide, is this, am I going to continue to make this enemy a friend or am I going to see it for what it is and stand against it? The Bible says in uh, James chapter four, it says, you unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Now let's read that again before we get confused because it doesn't say friendship with the people of the world makes you an enemy of God because we have to have relationship. Otherwise people won't see our light. We have to have relationship with people that don't look like us, smell like us, think like us, not in order for us to make them think like us, see like us, smell like us, but just to let them see the light of Jesus Christ in our life. So it's not saying that being friends with people who live in the world makes you an enemy of God because we better have friends that are different from us. Otherwise, what's the point of us? right? The Bible says we're to be light in a dark world. So the only way I'm going to be light in a dark world is if I actually step into a dark place. So for us to think, you know, the Bible says I got to be, if I'm going to be a friend, it's not friends of the people of the world. We got to understand that there's a God system and there's a world system. God's system Man, it's ruled, world, it's, it's God's way. It's, it's ruled by the, the word of God, the spirit of God, the life of God, the love of God. God says his ways are so much higher than our ways, right? And then there's a world system. That's where the Bible says don't be conformed to the patterns or the behaviors or the thought processes or the lower level of the world system. The world system is ruled by self, by flesh, influenced by Satan. That's the world system. So when the Bible says if you're a friend of the world or you're thinking like the world, pattering like the world, you have relationship with the world system, then you can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world system at the same time. There comes a time when you have to choose. There really comes a time 
when you have to choose. Matthew 6, 24. It says no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Or the Amplified says, mammon, the Amplified says it, money, possessions, fame, status, whatever is valued more than the Lord. You're going to end up serving I know in my, in, my, in my family or in my money, as a believer in Christ Jesus, I had to come to a place where I made a conscious decision, decision if I was going to handle my money according to the world system or God's system because they're not the same. In the world system, you hold on. In the world system, you, you, you step on people, you lie, you cheat, you do whatever it takes to get to the top. But in God's system, you give. In God's system, you have open hands. In God's system, you let money go. You sow your money. You give. Your hands are open to be generous on every occasion. So there comes a time I can't do both. I can't be tight-fisted and open-handed at the same time. I have to make a choice. When it comes to raising kids, I had to make a choice. Am I going to do it according to the world system? With, with, with just some kind of world theology and conversation and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the way that the world expects things to happen, you know, when kids reach teenage years, you know, they're always horrible and terrible and, and awful. And, you know, when they're two, they're going to be horrible and awful and terrible. Although you feel like sometimes they're horrible and awful and terrible. Am I going to pattern my life like that? Or am I going to take the word of God and train up my kids, pointing them in a God direction, doing things God's way? Because you can't do both. You can't put soccer as God and and a, a passion for the word of God and putting God's house first and seeking God's kingdom first and nothing wrong with soccer because I think soccer is amazing. But when we put other things at the top of the list or other things at the center of our world, a place where only Jesus can be, you can't do both. So that's what it's saying. You can't do both. You're going to have to make a choice somewhere. Joshua says it this way. He says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. He says, put away your idols your ancestors worshipped. In verse number 15, it says, if you refuse to serve the Lord or if you don't want to serve the Lord, you don't have to. You really don't have to. He says, just choose this day. Choose who you are going to serve because you can't do both. You're going to have to make a choice. He says, would you prefer the gods of your ancestors? Would it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? Joshua says, but as for me and my house, I'm making my choice and we're going to serve the Lord. So there comes a point in time in your life where you have to make a choice because you have to decide when that enemy walks in your door and I have to decide, am I going to continue to make him a friend or is he going to be a foe? Is he going to be a friend or is he going to be a foe? And this is what I have found that we all have tolerance to different things and different degrees of tolerance. I think, I think in my, my, uh, in, in my house, sometimes there's in, in my pantry, I, I can walk into my pantry and there can be like five ants, right? Just random, not like in a line, not coming from anywhere, just five ants. If I look at them and I say, oh, no big deal. And I, you know, squash, squash a couple of them. And the other ones, you know, I just walk out, don't see them all. 
If I don't do something about it right then, when I come back like five minutes later, they have their whole family, their whole neighborhood, their whole lined up, right? And they're all diving. They're all, they're all eating my cereal. They're eating my Doritos. They're eating everything in my pantry, right? And a lot of times we have tolerance at different levels. So sometimes we'll walk in there and we can tolerate four or five ants, but I'm not going to take action until there's, it's overrun. See, sometimes we do that with the enemy. We tolerate certain things. We'll, we'll, we'll tolerate certain things, and, and it won't be until it's magnified that we take action. I can say it like this. You know, the, the, the same spirit behind a cold is the same spirit behind cancer. But we'll tolerate a cold, right? I mean, we're... Uh, Shoot, that's my day off. You know, give me some, give me some hot tea. I don't have to clean the house. I don't have to, you know, do, take the kids anywhere. I don't have to make dinner. I can watch Lifetime movies all day. Hey, you know, I, I don't have, but when it comes to something big, then that's when we try to step up and go, no, that's an enemy. What I'm saying is we have to know at this point, where, where what line are we on? When the enemy comes into my house, am I going to consider that a friend or is that a foe? And we need to treat anything that comes between us and building the best life that God has for us as the enemy before it multiplies into something that's going to be a more of a challenge to fight. Because I can tell you, squashing five little ants is a lot easier than trying to get the stinking ants out of my cereal. That really makes me mad. All right. Number two. There's only two points, so y'all can relax. I'm not like the other pastors around here have like 10 points or whatever. You're welcome. Ooh, I got caps for that. Woohoo! <laughs> Number two, you have to know who your enemy really is and be, pre- be prepared to use your weapons. You have to know who your enemy really is. See, this is the thing. I think a lot of times in life we're fighting the wrong thing. I don't think we really know who our enemy is. So we think our enemy is our spouse, so we are fighting with our spouse. We think our enemy is our kids, so we're fighting our kids. We think our enemy is, you know, IRS or, or our boss or our lack of money. or uh, We think our, our, our enemy is the neighbor, you know, who keeps their dog keeps pooping on your lawn. That is happening at my house, by the way. And I have security cameras, and so I actually watch, you know, I'll flash back. And I watch their big old dog walks in my yard, does circles, poops in my yard, and walks out. Doesn't even, like, pick up after herself, nothing. So it's, it, it, it's not that. That's not my enemy. The Bible says if we don't know who our enemy is, we find ourselves fighting the wrong battle. I think that's why we have so much strife sometimes in our marriage. We have so much strife in our money. We have so much conflict and confusion with our children and mentally and warfare in our mind because we find ourselves fighting the wrong battle. We have to, first of all, know who our enemy is. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 2, says it's not a wrestling match against a human opponent. So when when I think my problem is you, the Bible says I'm wrong. My problem's not you. When I think my problem's my husband, I'm wrong because the Bible says it's not my husband. It's not a wrestling match with a human opponent, even though it feels like it is. 
says we're wrestling with rulers, authorities, powers who govern the world of darkness, spiritual forces that control evil in the heavenly world. First Peter five, eight says, be alert, be on watch your enemy, the devil doesn't say your enemy, your husband, your enemy, your mother-in-law, your enemy, your neighbor, who's dogs pooping on your lawn says he roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So our enemy, the opposition, our enemy is Satan. Her enemy was Sisera. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy, the Bible says, is the devil. We don't defeat him with a tent peg and a hammer. We don't defeat him, you know, with a, a Glock or, you know, a knife or, you know, uh, a Twitter post. The weapons we've been given aren't tent pegs and hammers. But the Bible says that our weapons are mighty in God to do enemy damage and destruction. My grandson collects Pokemon cards. And it's not that he plays, he just collects them. And so he was schooling me a while back on, on Pokemon. This is an awesome one. I'm like, Elam, why does, what makes that so awesome? He's all, because look at this one. This one does 10 enemy damage. And this one does 50 enemy damage. That's a lot more than 10 enemy damage. And then he says, and this one's really rare. And it's really good because it does like 500 enemy damage. So the more damage, the better it was. But this is what's so powerful. First John 3, 8 says when people at the end of that, it says the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The devil's your enemy. Remember the Bible says it's not flesh and blood. It's not your husband, not your mother-in-law, not the dog pooping on your lawn. The enemy is the devil. And the Bible says that this is why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I love that because it doesn't say he came to do 50 damage on the works of the devil or 250 damage. He destroyed the works of the devil, not just damage the works of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil. He destroyed total enemy destruction. Jesus's purpose when he came to this earth, destroy total destruction of the enemy's power in our life, total enemy destruction, not just enemy damage. So we have to know who our enemy is, not your husband, not the IRS, not your boss, not your coworkers who talking bad about you, not those people who aren't liking your, your posts on Instagram. It's Satan. Satan is your enemy. Jesus came and destroyed the enemy's power in your life. So we have to know who our enemy is, which we do. Now we have to know what weapons did God give us? JL had a tent peg and a hammer. What, did the, what, what weapons did God give us to see the enemy then destroyed in our life? So happy you asked. We win, not with a tent peg and a hammer. We win through the word of God and the name of Jesus. Say that. Say the word of God, the name of Jesus. I know some of you are like, what? Really? Yes. Let me show you the word of God and the name of Jesus. Because our, remember, we're not fighting human. We're not fighting hand to hand combat, which is 
amazing and awesome because I don't have to be six foot two with 3% body fat in order to conquer and win against the enemy. What is, you know what? The only person who even wants to go have their body fat checked is somebody with 3% body fat, right? I mean, I don't see anybody with 70% body Please check me. No way. I'm just saying. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse number four. It says, we fight with weapons that are different from those that the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy. See, I love that because not only did Jesus destroy the enemy, he gave us the ability with his word and with the name of Jesus to continue to see destruction in the enemies, in the enemy against our life. It's not that we just do damage to the enemy. The word of God has power to destroy the enemy's strong places in our life. It says in Ephesians chapter six, talking about the, um, the armor that God gave us where I'm going to read through them, but it, I'm not, you could preach a whole message on all of them. It says, put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes or when the enemy tries to access your life or the enemy runs into your tent, that you might be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm, the belt of truth around your waist, breastplate of righteousness, your feet with the readiness from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows that the enemy throws at you, the helmet of salvation. And right here, it taught all those being defensive, meaning when the enemy's attacking you, it's your defense. But then it gives us an offensive weapon. One that we can actually aggressively use to bring destruction back to the enemy. Not just defend ourselves, but actually bring destruction back too. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God, when I get it into my heart and I let it come out of my mouth, brings not just damage to the enemy, but it destroys the enemy's authority or place in my life. So when the enemy is hanging around in your family and hang around in your stuff, a weapon that you use, not a tent peg, not a hammer. It's the word of God, which brings destruction to the enemies in your life. Isaiah 55, 11 says, my word, God's word says, which comes from my mouth. It's like the rain and the snow. It doesn't come back to me without results. It will accomplish what I want and achieve whatever I send it to do. When we speak the word of God into our situation, it accomplishes things. When sickness is in my life and I'm being attacked with with sickness and disease and I open my mouth and I have the sword, the word of God, and start declaring by the stripes of Jesus, I'm the healed of the Lord, it accomplishes something. When my kids are acting funky and I have the word of God that says all my children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of my children in righteousness. They're established far from oppression, far from fear, for it shall not come near them. I'm opening my mouth and I'm declaring I'm using my sword and I'm declaring the word of God in my situation. And the Bible says it accomplishes something. It accomplishes the the thing that I'm sending it forth to do. It's doing enemy destruction in my life. 
speak his word, powerful things happen. Hebrews 11.3 says this, faith convinces us that God created the world through his word. He created the world through his word. So when we speak his word into our world, powerful things happen. Some of my, one of my two favorite scriptures that I pair together often is this in Luke 8, 11. It says the seed is the word of God. And then in Acts 19, 20, paired with that, it says the word of the Lord grew. Meaning this, that if I take the seed of the word of God and I speak it into my situation, I speak it into my life, it says the word of the Lord grew. It didn't just grow, but it became greater. The Bible says it grew mightily. That word mightily means with force and strength. So when I speak the word of God into my situation, it says that it grows, it becomes greater. It, it grows with force and strength and it prevails. Meaning this, it has the strength to overcome. It proves itself more powerful than any opposing force. If you're experiencing man, oppression or anxiety or or fear, the word of God, the seed of the word of God sown into your life produces things. So man, there've been times in my life, seasons in my life where I had experienced just anxiety and fear. Have you looked in your, in your, in your family and you just like in this story we read, they said, it said that the enemy had press, uh, oppressed them 20 years, had tormented them 20 years. That's a long time. Have you looked in your life and, and maybe looked at maybe your parents and you find things in their life, maybe, maybe patterns of behavior or, or maybe addictions or attitudes or behaviors. And you look in their parents and it seems like it's just been something that's been passed down and passed down. And then you find yourself battling and dealing with the same thing. I know in my life, I, I feel like when I look back at generations before me, there's, there's just been, uh, family members before me that have dealt with just spirits of fear and anxiety. Maybe not all about the same thing, but it's rooted in fear and, and just, just anxious from generation to generation. And then finally it got to me. And I found out in my life, there'd just be times that I'm not one that's super expressive on the outside. So if I'm anxious, you probably wouldn't know it because I hold it in. If I'm fearful, you probably wouldn't know it because I'm all tough chick on the outside, but on the inside, you know, I, I know that there's some fears and some stresses and some anxieties that would keep me up at night. And it was that pressure and that, that, that torment that I finally had to stop and say, okay, I am done with the enemy messing with my stuff. I have to decide, is this my friend or if this is my foe? Now, if this is my foe and this is the enemy, then I'm kicking this thing out of my life. So I went and I took the word, I grabbed the word of God, talking about the, the, the love of God, the love of Christ, casting out all fear, talking about being anxious for nothing, how by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I got to tell God all the stuff I'm so stressed out about and thank him for just being peace in my life. And then I'm supposed to capture my thoughts. I'm gonna, I'm supposed to think on the pure things, the lovely things, the true things, the God things. And as I would open my mouth and declare the word of God in my life, the word of God works. It became a seed. It grew with force and strength and it drove out every bit of fear, every bit of anxiety in my life. Oh, there's plenty of opportunities. I mean, the enemy, if he can get a toe in your door, 
He'll put his foot in. If you don't step on that toe and get it back out, he'll say, ooh, all right. And he'll try to work his way back in. But when you're aware of the enemy and what his nasty toenail looks like, you'll be, you'll be stomping on that thing, telling him to get out before he has an opportunity to get back in. The word of God spoken in your situation works. Works. Again, we activate the weapon of the word of God by speaking it and by doing it. Oh, that's a whole nother level right there. That's a whole nother level right there because it's sometimes it's easier just to speak the word than it is to do and place action in the word. It's easy as if I love my enemy. It's a whole nother thing to act like you do. Come on now. Y'all know that's true. It's one thing to say, I honor my husband. It's a whole nother thing to act like you do, right? It's easy to say, man, I honor God with my tithe and my offering. Well, it's a whole nother thing to put it into practice and to do it. But that's how you activate the weapon of the word of God is by speaking it and by doing it. James 1.22, do what God's word says. Just do what it says. Don't just listen to it or you'll fool yourself. If someone listens to the word and doesn't do what he says, it's like a person who looks at his face in his mirror, studies what he looks like, goes away and forgets what he looks like. He says, however, the person who continues to study God's perfect teaching remains committed to them. People like that don't merely listen. They actually do what God's teaching says. This is what what uh, John says says Jesus said to those Jesus said this in the book of John Jesus said to those Jews who believed in, in him if you live by what I say not just hear what I say not just say what I say but if you live by what I say you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will bring freedom in your life the truth can only bring freedom in your life if you not take it a step further not just say what the word says but do what the word says. So the word of God, awesome weapon. The second weapon God gave us is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus says in Philippians two, nine, therefore God exalted him, Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I love this Colossians two. He says he canceled Jesus, the record of the charges that were against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, the Bible said he went into to hell he tore the devil up he tore your enemy up and the bible says he didn't just do it in private it's kind of like the bully at your school you know who'd mess with you torment you persecute you and someone stronger than the bully come in and not just beat him up in the back room or beat him up away from everybody but beat him up right in the middle of the lunchroom at lunchtime made sure every other kid could see that that power was stripped from him. That's what Jesus did. He stripped the authority that the devil had. He stripped him of his power and he didn't do it in a back closet. He did it in front of everyone. So his victory is now our victory. His authority is our authority. Luke nine, Luke ten nineteen. 
He says, Jesus says this, look, I've given you. Go ahead, point to your neighbor, say you. Yeah, he's talking about you. He says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Yeah, but the devil's freaking me out. This is what you got to know. Jesus has given you power over all the authority of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. I have given you authority. And we have authority in the name of Jesus. It's kind of like this. When my kids were little and they would fight, the younger one and the older one. The older one's in the younger one's room. They actually shared rooms. So the younger, the older one's messing with the younger one's stuff, playing with it, harassing, look what I got, you know, playing with the stuff. Little one wants his thing back. He's like, give me back my, we'll call it a truck. Give me back my truck. No. Come on, give me back my truck. Give me back, make me. Come on, give me back. And they're fighting and the, you know, the big one's bigger, little one's littler and little one's getting pummeled. Finally, little one runs down to me. Mom, he won't give me back my truck. Like, you better go tell him to give you back your truck. He walks up there. Give me back my truck. Why should I? Still, Finally, he runs back down. Mom, he still won't give me back my truck. You better go up there and you tell him. If he doesn't give back, that mom says, he better give back your truck. Or he knows. He don't want to mess with me, right? So he walks back up. Now, the little guy, looking at the big brother, walking back up. And he's got his chest a little higher, dried up his tears. Because he knows some power. There's some power behind what he's going to demand now, right? So he walks up there and he goes, give me back my truck. Why should I? Mom said. Mom said, give me back my truck. It's a whole nother thing when mom said, because mom is the one that brought him into the world and mom is the one that could bring him, take him out of the world, right? He's had some toe to toes with mama and mama always, I say that again, mama always wins. So what happens? He's not going in his own little, you know, little guy authority. He's going backed up by mama now. Whole nother authority. Kind of like when I was in junior high school, I went to a bilingual school. I think my parents were hoping that I'd learn Spanish and English. And all I learned was the bad words. (laughs) I just learned all the bad words, but I hung out with some friends and that's where I learned all of my chola ways. So I could flash some, you know, you know, but the crazy thing is I had, I, I was like a wannabe chola because I never had to get in a fight. I never had to scratch and, and claw or fight anything because I had the Sanchez sisters. They were legit. I had the Sanchez sisters on my side. So if I had any kind of opposition at all, I just had to let these people know who I had relationship with and they'd back up. See, that's the same thing with us. The authority that we have in Christ Jesus is because of the relationship we have with Christ Jesus. And we got to realize that we are in relationship with the most powerful, victorious, super conqueror of them all. None can even compare. So the enemy is not just afraid of you because you think you're all that. He's afraid of the one that's backing you up and who you have relationship with. So... It's time that we take our tent peg and our hammer and do some enemy destruction. You know, the end of this story 
is really cool because they wrote a poem or a song about it after the battle. It says, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Sisera asked for water and she gave him milk in a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him yogurt. Then when her left hand, she reached for a tent peg with her right hand for a workman's hammer and she stuck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head. With a shattering blow, she pierced his temples. He sank, he fell, he laid still at her feet. And where he sank there, he died. It says, O oh Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera and may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. And I like this. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. Do you know why it's important for us to take the word of God and the name of Jesus and do enemy destruction in our life? Not just because of you, but because of the generations that come after you. Because of decisions you make today in your homes and the homes that you represent. Because you make a decision today that I'm making a choice which side of the fence I'm on. And I'm giving it my whole heart. I'm going to grab the word of God. I'm going to grab the name of Jesus. And I'm going to drive that enemy out of my life and out of my family. The Bible said for the next 40 years there was peace. There will be such great peace in the next generation if we stand up and fight. You know, I know a lot of times we won't do it for ourselves. There's a lot of things I'll tolerate in myself. Ah, harass me a little bit. I don't care. I can handle it. You start ha harassing my grandkids? You thought I was nasty as a mama? I'm even over the top. I go back. Oh, I will become ghetto chola girl again. Use my fingernails, pull hair and poke eyeballs if I have to. Why? Because I'm concerned about the next generation. Here at Celebration Church, that's what we live, breathe for. Is that we're not just living life for us. We're generationally working together. I'm living my life, building my best life. So my kids have the opportunity to build their best life. And my grandkids have the opportunity to build their best life. Because of the decisions we make today. That help anybody? Yeah, let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes in this place. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I believe that you're doing a mighty work in us. God, we're so thankful. God, that you didn't just leave us trying to struggle, trying to fight the enemy on our own, but you destroyed and conquered so we can destroy and more than conquer. God, we walk in your truth today. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you're in this room and you haven't completed step number one. You haven't made a choice. Maybe you didn't even know there was a choice to be made. This is what I do know. Life is better. You were created. The, the, you were born to do kingdom God things. You weren't born to live your own life, to do things your own way. There's no fun. There's no life in that. Jesus came to give you life and to give you life over and above what you're living right now. If you haven't made a choice for Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. At all of our campuses, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? I just open up my, my, my mouth and I say, God, I choose you. I choose your side. God, I choose your way. I choose Jesus. 
I'm not good enough in my own self. I can't live this double life, this double standard anymore. God, I choose you. I choose you. So we're going to pray this prayer this morning. All of us are going to pray together. I pray this prayer all the time. I give my life to Jesus, recommit my life to him often because my will, my way always wants to get involved. So let's all pray this prayer together and mean it with your heart. Say, Father God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I let go of my way and I choose you. Thank you for choosing me and providing life for me. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you, God, for every person in this room. God, I believe that as we leave this place in a few minutes that we take the word of God, our weapons, and we use them. God, help us to train in the area of our weapons. God, help us to put the, to recognize the enemy in our life, to use the word of God in the name of Jesus to drive out the enemy's plan and tactic in our life. Father, right now in Jesus' name, God, by the authority that you've given me, God, I declare our lives and the lives of celebration off limits. God, I command fear, go. God, I command sickness and disease to go right now in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I command confusion to go in the name of Jesus Christ. Depression, go in the name of Jesus Christ. Spirit of greed and lust for money, I command you to go in Jesus' name. God, I command every form of rebellion that's operating in our lives to go in the name of Jesus. God, I declare unity, peace, love, life. God, everything that God has planned for us. God, every good thing that you have provided for us. God, we declare it shall come to pass. God, we'll pick up our weapons and we'll do with them what you've called us to do. And God, I believe that we'll live the God life that you created us to live. We give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all agree with that? Amen. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus.